Hello and welcome to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers. Located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is episode 28. I am your host, Avdi Grimm. In this episode, I talk to Shane Perlman of Shane and Peter. If there was ever a perfect guest for the Wide Teams podcast, it might be Shane. Uh, he and his partner, Peter, manage a fully dispersed uh, software consulting company. Shane and Peter's product development teams are composed of developers and designers who are scattered across the U.S. I talked to Shane about managing distributed teams, uh, about maintaining communication, about how they uh, discover and recruit the right sort of people to work on a distributed team, and about how they maintain their connections, not just as colleagues, but as friends. It was a really fun interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right, this is Avdi Grimm with WideTeams.com, and I'm talking today with Shane Perlman. Uh, Shane, could you tell me a little bit about who you are, uh, where you are, and uh, what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Shane. I live in Santa Cruz, California, and I run a team. Well, my business partners and I run teams of completely dispersed, as you used it, or I call them distributed uh, independent contractors. So anywhere between 25 and 40 at a time on projects for everybody from MTV to eBay, Microsoft, Boeing, you name it. And that's software development? Uh, that is, uh, yeah, actually, it is software. A lot of design. We're about half-half okay. half design and development. A lot of mobile, a lot of web, even alternative devices. Like, I'm working on a TV project for Panasonic right now. Okay. Um, and uh, if you would, just tell me a little bit about your history with distributed teams. Sure. So I, I went through the uh, dot bomb bubble, uh, lost a couple of software jobs, and came out with the conclusion that I was better off in control of my own schedule, my own time. I basically wanted to surf during the day and work when I wanted to work. Uh-huh. So I became a freelancer, and as that grew over time, I started to have the opportunity to collaborate with projects with other freelancers, which eventually grew into a business where we basically run a freelance cooperative now. So it's it's independent contractors from all, all over North America. We even have some in Australia, some in uh, Europe working on, on projects. And I personally play the role of art director and salesperson. So that's an interesting um, structure. Would you say that you um, more or less retain um, retain everyone permanently, or, or do you assemble a team from people that you know for an individual project, and then they go their separate ways at the end of that? It's, it's a hybrid of both. So I would say that over time, we've built a core. Now, we, we have a rule where we can't be your only client. In fact, we don't want to be more than 60% of your general revenue, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we've got, uh, you know, I build every project from the ground up with team. And it's based on, you know, who's most qualified, who I have the most fun working with. And uh, all the time, we have new people coming in. We have old people kind of graduate 
if you want to say, like they start a product business that succeeds and they move on or, you know, their, their lifestyle changes and, and so forth. So how do you find these people? Well, uh, a lot of it is reference. Uh, a lot of it is uh, certain job boards. Uh, we've had really good luck with authentic jobs. We've had really good luck with the freelance switch uh, gigs mm-hmm. or jobs location. Um, and, then, you know, that's it. We tried Craigslist for a while, but it was so much work sorting through the wrong people that we eventually gave up. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's a mixture of different things. If you have any brilliant ideas, we're always looking for great ways to find <laughs> people. But you actually do you do hit the boards a little bit. It's not just referrals and stuff like that. Absolutely, I'd say about a third or half of our people come from the boards. Mm-hmm. And then how does that how does that work? Like how do you um, how do you bring them in? Like how do you is is there a, a sort of a testing period um, or you know how do, how do they transition from being being a possibility to a regular? Sure. So so we kind of there's a process uh, when we meet somebody. I look at their portfolio. You know, if they're in open source, we look at their code, which is awesome. Like, you know, if you're if you're just getting started in this thing and you want to find a way to have an impact and have some credibility, open source is a phenomenal way to spend your time. And and then from there, we do test projects. Uh, I I've, I've just learned over time. You know, maybe face to face interviews, you can get enough wisdom to really get a sense of people over time. But when you're just talking on the phone or Skype, you can get a gut feeling. But you don't, you don't know how they're going to work with your team. You don't know how, you know, how accountable they are. And, mm-hmm. and so we, I have a $200 budget for a test project. Mm-hmm. So depending on who that is and what their hourly rate is, it gives me uh, a certain amount of time to try something. And then if that test project goes well, then they get a small project. And if that project goes well, they get another. And then usually somewhere around six or nine months down the line and five projects later, they're top of mind rather than bottom of mind. And that's how they turn into core, frankly. Okay, and um, so so you you have a pretty wide range of, of project sizes, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I could say our smallest projects are a couple weeks. Our lo- our longest project is now seven years. Okay. Um, that's that's an exception. Our our big long projects are usually a year and a half, two years. What about the team sizes for these uh, projects? I, sure. I mean, the smallest team is a team of two. Man, some, some client level person and some, you know, a technician. Um, our average teams are, I'd say, between three and five. I think our biggest team ever was was about fourteen or fifteen, and that was a monster. Uh-huh. And, and you know, we had multiple project managers, and that was a long term project. Mm-hmm. So, what is the? Um, I mean, so these are all you're you're completely um, sort of distributed around, uh, correct? You you don't have a central yeah. office. No, I mean, um, I, I happen to sit in a co-working space so that I've got company, but that's the extent of it. So um, what's the collaboration look like um, on a day-to-day basis on one of these projects? Sure. Well, actually, it's it's kind of interesting because it's a little different based on each team. I mean, mm-hmm. even on my, like, I, I run, I think today, right now, I'm running four different teams, and and my teams have different personalities, Mm-hmm. And so um, I've got one team where I do daily scrums in the morning. It's on the phone. Uh, I do it on video Skype, except, well, maybe with the new beta we can, but before we couldn't do multi-person video. Right. So yeah, it, the, it, they just released a beta, which I think you can do that now. I, yeah, I saw that, but I also saw all the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that too. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll try it in a few weeks uh, when I get uh-huh. a chance. 
But um, there's so we I do a stand up. We we kind of it's it's your standard stand up with with one team in particular. It often morphs into a design discussion. So we've we've learned to just a lot a little more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because this team in particular is really good about interacting and giving each other feedback, and I want to encourage that cycle. Mm-hmm. So I've learned to allow this scrum to morph into a meeting. We all benefit better from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people kind of go off on their style. We uh, we use Redmine as a project management system. It's an open source Ruby on Rails project. We're, we're one of the larger contributors to it. Mm-hmm. And so most of the daily communication goes into Redmine and comes out of Redmine. So people can comment on threads. You can watch issues. Uh, there's ways to. We've built a plugin that allows you to basically poke people. So oh, okay. we call it question. So anytime you know, yes, there's a dialogue, but you can assign a comment to somebody to which they need to act on it. And if they don't, it keeps bugging them. Hey, you're you're my blocker here. You need to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, for me. I have some projects that I actually, I don't know how to say it. I have an open door versus other projects. I kind of do a little bit of office hours. Uh, and that depends a lot on the communication cycles that the project requires. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got two projects right now where I'm always on aim. And okay. they know it, the team knows it. And if they need anything, talk to me because I've learned that not being able to answer those questions quickly has turned out to be very expensive. Okay. Uh, I've got other projects that run at a much slower burn, and I just don't need that. So mm-hmm. they know, hey, you know, th- at this point on these two days of the week, I'm here for you if you need me. Make sure that you've got stuff in the system for me to check in on. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that answers your question. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you so you're you're doing um, some form of, of daily meeting with your with your teams. It sounds like um, you're using instant message messaging. Um, are there any other um, major communications tools that you're using um, regularly? Besides yeah. Redmine? Yeah. Sure. Uh, so we've got a few. I mean, Skype video is a big one for me, just because mm-hmm. I like to see people's facial expressions. Um, we actually use Google Docs. Sometimes for for just collaborated document work, mm-hmm. which has been really helpful. We have a wiki that we use quite a bit for documentation. Um, let's see what else. I feel like there's a bunch of other things that aren't coming to mind right now. We tried Basecamp for a while, but for some reason our team just wasn't really using it. In fact, okay. I think one of the biggest lessons we've had. Th- this is in part two because we have a slightly different organization. It's not like a bunch of employees. It's contractors who come and go. Right. So with us, we've learned unless your systems fit into their existing work patterns, nobody's going to use your systems. Right. So things like, you know, if you look at Instant Messenger, there was a while where we only did AIM. And we finally realized that's silly. Not everybody uses AIM. And I got a copy of ADM. And I don't care what IM you use. Right. Like, it all just comes in to my client. I reply, you know, if you're on Gtalk and this other person's on AIM and this other person's using Skype, it just doesn't matter. And that way I've got a communication channel that everybody uses without deviating from their normal patterns. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the most important lesson we learned in terms of system building. Um, just to sort of work with, with what people are used to. 
work with what people are used to and find a way to bend your system so it works in a way they're comfortable with. Or the other option is tie it to some reward that is so strong they won't do it. So, for example, we had a problem for a little while about people doing a really good job logging their information into our project management system. Well, we solved that problem by saying, unless we see your time clocked in, attached to issues, we won't pay you for that. <laughs> that does sound <laughs> encourage and participation. And now people are more encouraged. <laughs> uh, and it helped. You know? but, but that was a particular process we had to do. <laughs> That's funny. I've done some some uh, some stuff sort of on the other on the other end, uh, sort of uh, with positive reinforcement, um, trying to make a game of 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 some of the uh, tools that we were rolling out. Um, but uh, that that can work, or it can it can fall flat on its face, depending on the group. Um, It'd be interesting to see. I, I I have yet to see anything that that has kind of the positive game built into it that that's been effective. I mean, you know, when you talk about there is, there is discussion on Twitter. There is a lot of discussion on email and kind of, we have a whole back channel of social dialogue that happens. Mm -hmm. So you're all, you're all following each other on Twitter and that kind of thing. Right. And, and we have a a life blog or that's what we call it. It's basically a photo slash, you know, none of us see each other. And so we're trying to fill in that whole gap of, of your social life. Right. You know, so we've got a blog, and it's not really for the world; it's for us. And it's, yeah. but it's we leave it public. It's life.shaneandpeter.com, and and there's all kinds of stuff in there. And whether it's 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 Halloween photos of of my family, or whether it's you know Dan, one of our our WordPress masters, had, had this awesome photo the other day where it's this poster that his daughter made that says, "Bullies, you made me cry." Mm-hmm. And it shows this little girl holding a broken pumpkin that they put up in front Aww. of the house that somebody. But yeah, you look at that and like suddenly, I mean, I know his child. I've I've met Avery because we also do once a year we do team trips. Okay. So we we take as many people on our core as we can afford to. Right. Uh, who've contributed significantly over the year, and we go somewhere warm, usually in February. So mm-hmm. all those people in the cold could be really happy. <laughs> um, so last year we were in Panama, the year before we were in Hawaii, the year before in El Salvador. Um, and we spend a week together and we hang out and we get to know each other's families and we get to know, you know, each other's kind of personalities. And I would say those are some of the, I mean, those trips cost a lot of money. I think we paid 20000 on the last one. Mm-hmm. But the payout is so huge because it mm-hmm. builds... When you can't see somebody and you've been having a bad month, I'm not just talking about like a bad day, but I mean like this project isn't fun anymore. You know, uh, maybe maybe I we have a new baby and I haven't slept for weeks and my <laughs> wife and I are cranky at each other and, you know, I look at my, myself in the mirror and I feel fat and, uh-huh. and all that stuff's going on. Well, it's really easy to start thinking that other people are jerks. Yes. And so when you meet with somebody face-to-face and you sit in a pool with a bar and drink daiquiris and talk about life, you build this this little reserve trust in which you're like, no, no, this person's a human being just like me. Mm-hmm. So on those really bad days where you all crank at each other, you can sort of have an innate belief that this person is not out to get me, and mm-hmm. they're, they're 
they have just as good interests as I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the biggest changes we noticed in our team when we started doing that trip. It was huge. How long have you been doing that now? Uh, This is our fourth year. We're going into our fifth. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're planning our fifth right now. We're having a huge debate over a cruise or Mexico. (laughs) Nice. Is that is that is that does that get tough just coordinating everyone? Oh, uh, it's freaking uh, exhausting. Um, <laughs> that is always the biggest debate: is how do I do this in a way that's fun rather than uh, another project? Right. Yeah. Maybe someday we'll hire an administrative assistant who'll take care of that for me. There you go. So, I mean, what have been the biggest challenges? I mean, obviously, you've sort of grown into this organically, so it wasn't like a great big organizational shift but i mean were there any um you know unexpected roadblocks or anything that you had to get over as you as you scaled up as a, as a distributed team yeah absolutely uh a, a lot of them in fact i think the biggest thing i'm realizing is we keep relearning the same lessons uh-huh. over and over again uh, and, and as soon as you forget a lesson life provides you the opportunity to relearn it uh, so I think for us, the biggest struggle and maybe where we put most of our energy, uh, and I think it helps us succeed, is accountability. So when when you look at a team, and actually let me define what I mean by accountability, because a lot of people think it means you do what you say you're going to do, which would be brilliant. But, but the reality of things like software is that things change all the time. We're always late. You know, it's like it's just the nature of an experimental and fast-moving platform. What I mean by accountability is to have the maturity to look ahead a little bit and see where the possible roadblocks are coming and plan for them well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this could be on a personal life level, like you know when you know when a developer calls me and says, "Hey, you know, I'm looking at the next few weeks and." You know, I've got family coming into town, and I've got this going on, and I'm looking at the different projects that we're all tied onto. Mm-hmm. I don't know if all this is going to work out. How do we solve this? Mm-hmm. That is a discussion I love. It is accountable. It is coming forward and saying, okay, here's the struggles I see. How do we work it out? Well, do we get right. another person on the team? Do we talk to the client and say, hey, can we have an extra week? Because yeah. more often than like. About three years ago, Peter and I did, did a calc. We did seven overnighters in a period of, oh, I don't know, six months or eight, eight months. Mm. And I remember when we were looking back and doing a self-analysis, we realized not a single one of those overnighters was necessary. Mm-hmm. Three of them, the client never even remembered that the deadline was that day. <laughs> we're accountable in there. Two of them, the clients had actually pushed the launch but forgot to tell us. Um, and, and, you know, and it was just stuff like that where we realized later, we're like, wait a minute, if we just called somebody before and talked about it, the overnighter would have been completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I look at teams, the biggest struggle we've had is in finding people who are naturally accountable and teaching those who aren't to be accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a struggle. Like, for example, and this is still going all the time, like last week, my business partner, Peter, was really frustrated because he was trying to get a hold of a key peer, two key people on his team to decide which direction to take something. And the client was freaking out and so forth. And so in the end, Peter's like, I can't get a hold of them. Forget it. I'll just code it myself. Mm-hmm. And he codes it and eventually gets hold of that person on his team that night. 
Mm-hmm. And it turns out they've been coding the same thing all day, just a totally right. different way. Right. You know, and that's, I mean, to me, like this, this level of accountability and inherent in accountability is like, you made this great note on, on the deck I've been working on where you said inherent in flex time is a problem of communication, which is, you know, it's wonderful that you can work whenever you want and it's all results based, but that's only really functional if you're available to figure out what you're doing. Right. And so I think that's our biggest struggle still to date, always has been. We're still working on it. Daily stand-ups help. Systems help. But when that falls apart, it's a big fall apart. So how do you how do you encourage people? I mean, without I mean, obviously, you know, we talked um, one of the things you were talking about is that, you know, when you're when you're apart from from your team, it's easier for um, you know, for for bad blood to to grow, especially when you're having a bad month. How do you encourage that accountability without you know just making things worse by by you know people feeling like you know they're being beaten over the head there's a lot of ways peter's got a good one i I really love peter always apologizes Mm -hmm. he gets somebody on he says i'm sorry for not being a good enough leader and here's how i messed up and 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 it's genuine. It's not you know it's not fake like trying to get somebody like Peter really means it. He sees the harm and he sees the wrong in himself before he sees it in anybody else. Mm-hmm. And and it creates this kind of open space for people to analyze themselves. Mm-hmm. And quite often the response to that is like, no no no, it was all me, man. No, it was me. And but but at that point you get a communication. That's one right. approach. Uh, it only works if you really mean it. Like faking. People are too smart for that. Right. Um, I'm not as naturally humble as he is. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I just sit down. Like, we talk about it a lot. I mean, it, it, I think the biggest problem is people get busy and they stop talking about stuff. Um, so with my team all the time, you know, I'm, I'm like, hey, how can I be better? And how can you guys be better? And we talk about it. And we talk about everybody who's worked with me a lot. Here's the word accountability at least five times a week. Um, it's sort of a mantra, mm-hmm. and and it's had to become a mantra just because it's it's been the difference between success and failure on a lot of our projects. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as other like, I mean, there, there's also parts of just building it into the system. You know, I I think one of the clearest things that we've ever been able to do is. When people know what's next, accountability usually fails when people get confused. Mm-hmm. And so, for for me and you know, for you when you're managing a team or a project manager, you know, one, do people know how they're going to win? I, I mean, like for me, like the biggest struggle, one of the biggest struggles I see is when people don't know what a win looks like, so they flail. And they're like trying to do this, and then they code that. And, but but actually, the win is a really simple thing. It's mm-hmm. just it hasn't been communicated effectively. So anytime that you can make your guidelines and your requirements excessively clear, mm-hmm. I mean, it all comes down to clarity. Um, but that that's maybe where the art, as opposed to the science, comes into play sometimes. Right. Do you have any any issues? Um 
dealing with clients? I mean, did they ever have any trouble with you being a, a completely dispersed team? Um, less than I've always imagined. Like, I always imagined it would be a bigger deal. Not to say that we don't. It's just it's a much smaller portion of problems than I than I originally expected. But it does happen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have a project with SAP right now where it's it's a freaking awesome project. Um, it's just, and this is this is a fault on my on my plate. Sometimes you get into this point where you start going back and forth, and you get more into detail, and you get more into detail. Mm-hmm. And you forget to look at the big picture. It's one of the things that maybe if you were face to face, it wouldn't happen. Maybe it would. I don't know. Um, but I think the the tendency to question is maybe a little less at a distance in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I know that in myself. And so um, that's that's a place that I've gotten stuck. There's also just we've had a few projects in the past where they more than anything, the client is incapable of communicating. Uh, the client's incapable of communicating what they really want or need. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a face-to-face can break through that. We've flown out to visit a few clients to just sit down and go, okay, we're stuck, you're stuck, let's let's hash this out. Nobody's leaving this room until we're not stuck. Right. Where, where, that, like, where we tried it at remote and it wasn't working. And usually... Usually that works. Mm-hmm. I would say the biggest one with clients is actually the exact same thing as meeting the team. It's all about building trust and relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the biggest problems we've had with clients remote by far is when, you know, they rush a launch and then it's buggy. And we told them it was going to be buggy and they heard it, but they didn't feel like it didn't get internalized. Um, and then they're like, well, you know, your stuff's buggy. And, it's one of those things where, I, from experience, if they've hung out with you and you've had a few beers together and there's a relationship, they all believe you're on the same team. But sometimes mm-hmm. when they can't see you, it becomes an us and them situation mm-hmm. that that can deteriorate. And so, you know, we have a small budget that's really the fly out to have beers with our clients budget. <laughs> and we talk a little tech. But but for the amount of tech that we should be talking, it's mostly relationship built. Mm-hmm. So. Switching gears a little bit, um, you mentioned um, earlier that that you work uh, some from a co-working space. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, just really briefly for anyone who doesn't know, what is co-working? Sure. Um, I apologize. Let me let this person know I'm almost done with this. Uh, sure. I got a meeting it. So co-working, co-working's been around for a long time in different shapes and formats. It's just a movement that's become formalized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've always kind of worked on my own coffee shops. We had a few friends who other software firms who would run what's called jellies, which is Mm -hmm. after what, like they would open up their office for anybody who wanted to come hang out and work there. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was social and we'd exchange ideas and I'd get work done. And Coworking is an office space that's shared by a lot of different people. You can rent a desk. You can have like what we call a cafe membership and the one I'm at where you just come and go as you want. Mm-hmm. But if you have no desk. It's just shared space. Some of them have offices. Um, I think one of the biggest differences is unlike rent in an office, these are more like membership in a community. I almost think of it like a gym. 
And so it's a, it's a place in which you can work with a lot of other people in your industry, but who aren't necessarily in your company. It provides stability for the nomadic worker, if you will. And is that something that, that you recommend to other remote workers? Absolutely. Um, I, and I think everybody has different ways of coping with the isolation mm-hmm. that being completely remote provides. But the biggest problem I always had with it personally was I couldn't get rid of this nagging feeling that everybody else was having fun except me. <laughs> and, and that's why I started working coffee shops and co-working uh-huh. spaces. Cause I'd sit down and I'd look around and I'm like, nope, everybody's just as bored and busy as I am. All right, I'll go back to work. <laughs> and I just got rid of that. But, and then on top of that, when I was ready for social, I'd take my headphones off. I'd look up, I'd smile. And there were people in my industry who were really ready to have very interesting dialogues from an education, from a business networking perspective. It's been phenomenal. Hmm. All right. Well, um, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, there is one question that I, I always like to ask, um, and that's just uh, if, if there was one piece of advice that you could give to somebody who it was uh, thinking of putting together a distributed team uh, or dispersed team, whatever you want to call it, uh, what would that be? God, there's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pick. It takes a lot to find a few. Not okay. not everybody is going to fit in your team, and that's okay. Um, and that's going to be as much about culture as it is being able to work remote. Um, but but just understand that you're going to have to test a bunch of people, and culture that you're going to build is fairly unique. You can't just port whatever culture you had before and assume it's going to hold. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, well. Um, before you go, uh, is there anything um, that you'd like to uh, say about uh, about your organization or any projects that you're working on uh, that you'd like to just tell people about? Sure. Thanks for the opportunity. So, one, uh, my name is Shane Perlman. Uh, on Twitter, I'm just like Air. Uh, follow and I talk a fair bit about uh, distributed or wide teams. Also, uh, if you're a freelancer and you're interested in talking about the business of freelance, I'm one of the founders of a bar camp called Freelance Camp. They're all over the U.S. and Canada. If you're interested in, you know, if you don't have one in your town and you wish there was, start one. We'll help you. Um, and then if you're you know, if you are uh, an organizer for a conference and you're looking for a speaker, I do a fair bit of speaking. You can go to my speaking website at www.shaneperlman.com. And then lastly, if you're a good WordPress coder or an amazing UX designer or so forth, feel free to uh, pop me a copy of your portfolio or some sample code. You can send it to hr at shaneandpeter.com. Well, Shane, thank you so much for your time. Sure. It was nice chatting with you. Thanks for listening to the Wide Teams podcast. Please visit us on the web at wideteams.com to leave feedback and enjoy more articles, screencasts, and conversations about dispersed teams. The Wide Teams podcast is a service of ShipRise LLC and is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next time, this is Avdi Grimm signing off.
Wow, 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 wow,